Christmas in August? Yes. We're going to have Christmas in uh, August. Yeah. So we're going to listen to a song, okay? <laughs> this, our opening prayer is going to be a Merry Christmas song, all right?
be with us as we open up your word. And let us do that. Let's open up to Matthew. Anybody know where this is? <laughs> where Matthew says Emmanuel? God with us. Huh? God with us. Yeah. Uh, do you know where that is in Matthew? All right. Matthew chapter 1. So verse 18. Matthew 1.18. So as I read this, I want you to think, sort of consider, what is Matthew trying to tell us about Jesus? Okay? Just in this passage, just in this passage that we're looking at. Okay? So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Alright, so it says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of God, son of David, sorry, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, awoke from, his, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So why is Matthew telling us this? What what is it in here that Matthew is telling us about Jesus? Sounds like sort of a simple question, but it's actually <laughs> really sort of the subject of what we're going to look at tonight from Isaiah. But why what is he saying? Just throw some things out. What are you learning about Jesus? Why why tell us this stuff about Jesus? There's a prophecy. Okay, there's a prophecy. Okay, very good. So there's so Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy. Being born of a woman that's not had previous kids. She's not been with a man. Okay. So is that the prophecy that is being fulfilled? That the Messiah would come through this uh, you know, what does virgin mean I, through this person? Okay, all right, okay, all right, good. In the line of David. In the line of David, all right, great. Good. What else do we learn here about Jesus? When prophecy says his name, uh, they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so uh-huh. we can, so Jesus can be called Emmanuel. All right. But his name is Jesus. All right. Which okay. Has own, which has its own meaning. Uh huh. But Emmanuel means God with us, and Jesus was literally God with us. Okay. Right. 
God incarnate on earth with us. All right. When you look at that 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 quote there, then why? I mean, what is what is Matthew trying to tell us by quoting Isaiah here? To Which look is at verse Isaiah. twenty-three. You what? To look at Isaiah. Okay, to look at Isaiah. <laughs> why is he quote? That's that's a great answer. Why is Matthew quoting Isaiah? I love what you just said. Yeah. Which is not what people do. Just to be explicit, pretty explicit here. Right. Rarely do people ever look at Isaiah. And I think what you just said is great, because when you see a quote like this, it should tell us to go look at Isaiah. All right. So. There are some assumptions all of you sort of said right now as to what this passage means from Isaiah even. Alright? So why why did why did Matthew quote Isaiah? Alright? So I think I heard from you, Steve, one of the reasons he quoted Isaiah was to say this is a this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that Jesus would be born through a virgin. Is that so in Isaiah's time, it would be a future prophecy. I mean, a prophecy is something that's coming, right? Okay, uh, all right. So when Isaiah is communicating that, it's not happened yet. It's, it's coming. It's still to come. Okay, all right, okay. And then, Peter, you said that, you know, it's, it's somehow maybe telling us, or somehow telling us that, that Jesus is, we could say that Jesus is God, or that when Jesus is here, God is with us. Is that how you put it? Yeah, I mean, um, Jesus is the God-man, right? Uh-huh. Theologically speaking, fully God and fully man. Uh-huh. And so if, if it's the God-man walking on earth, mm-hmm. then it's literally, although it already is God's presence, it is God with us. And maybe maybe more than in just presence. It's God sharing our experience. Hmm. Okay. Right. Alright. Okay. Good. John, you have anything else to add there? Or? Nope. Okay. You know, so, so also with, like what Peter's saying, mm-hmm. when Matthew's communicating in verse 22, almost to fulfill the prophet, the virgin will conceive, give birth to his son. The idea of calling him his name, Emmanuel, God, and Emmanuel means God with us. Mm-hmm. It's almost like everybody could just perk up right there. Huh? God with us. Everything Peter just said. Mm-hmm. But it's like uh, what could be in the conversation, just the, the very idea and the Jewishness of it God is with us through this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't even get your mind around that. At right. that time, I mean, we have now all our conceptions, but but it's, we're still limited. And so at that time, the projection of this prophecy, God with us, to be born, I mean, what does that mean? Yeah. It's huge. Well, another, in, in Isaiah 9, right, says um, and they will call his name Wonderful Counselor, mm-hmm. Mighty God, Everlasting Father and of the um, Prince of Peace yeah, Prince of Peace and, and of the uh, government, government of his, on his shoulders. yeah, and of his kingdom there will be no end 
right, speaking right. of the Messiah, uh-huh. but it's also saying, and he will be called, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like here, he will be called Emmanuel. He will be called Prince of Peace, you know, Everlasting Father. So all right. of these titles are messianic titles, um, even though his name is Jesus. He is called by all of these messianic titles. Well, and in fact, you notice that it starts out by saying in verse 18 of Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, I think we Jesus. all know Christ is not his last name. Messiah. It's Messiah. Jesus. All right, Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You know, the other thing, too, is that just like in Luke 2.11 where uh, it says uh, just in one, in one verse, one sentence, today in the town of David, Savior, Messiah, Lord, all in one sentence. Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. all those together. Yeah. yeah. So how many times do you think this Isaiah quote is quoted in the New Testament? Where how many times, how many times is Isaiah quoted in the New Testament? How many times is not Isaiah quoted, but how many times is this quote from Isaiah quoted in the New Testament that Jesus shall be called, his name shall be Emmanuel? the only place I've ever seen it. It is the only place. Oh, really? Yeah, it's only in Matthew. Who is Matthew written to? The Jews. The Jews. So the Jews, when they hear this, they are going to, you know, there is no New Testament yet. (laughs) Right? (laughs) This doesn't exist. So you can imagine, you know, when they hear this or they're reading this, maybe Matthew even for the first time or maybe when Matthew was fully put together yet the book, but if they hear this for the first time, they're going to immediately think Isaiah, all right? And they're going to go back to Isaiah. They're going to think, okay, where this, 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 where's this from? What does this mean, okay? Which is a good way to connect them. Right, right. So we're going to do that. So we're going to go look at Isaiah, all right, and look at it, sort of keep in mind everything that all of you just said, and we're going to go back now and be a Jew, in essence, Let's go back and look at Isaiah, where this occurs, and see what is what can we learn about it. Because basically, the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament, all right, in many many ways. Yeah. So, whenever the Old Testament is quoted in the New, it is always quoted that the people would understand the context. They knew, the Jews immediately knew what story and what happened and what was going on when they hear that quote. Because this is their story. It's like us hearing something about, you know, something happened, you know, um, America, you know, when the United States was born, okay? Something back, you know, you know, the Constitution or whatever it is, Civil War. I mean, we, we immediately go, oh, that's our, you know, that's our story we go back to you. So, same thing here. They go back to that. All right, and they think of that. And that helps to inform them what is Matthew now saying. Uh, rarely does that ever happen with this quote. As with many in the New Testament. But particularly this one. Because we all sing it. We all sing the song. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, Jesus. Come, God, with us. All right? And you have the sense of, yeah. Bring Jesus. Okay, we have God with us now. So the hymn, even when it was written, it had no connection to the nativity. Probably, it's a hit. It was a praise song. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it was written a long time ago. I mean, yeah. almost a thousand years ago, this is her origin. Okay. And it finally was put into words. It was in Latin, then Latin, then put into English. Okay. Okay, in, in like the 1700s, and then we have sort of today's. Because there's various other quasi old sounding uh, hymns that that were praise songs that were connected to Christmas, you know, 150 years ago. Right. I don't think I realized how beautiful this song was until I just heard it and I was trying to look over the lyrics. Yeah. And what did you use? Is there anything about the lyrics that stood out to you? Well, one thing that stood out was that there's a, there's many stanzas that that have been created and yeah, she went over a few, but right, I, there's a few there's, more. There's a lot because I looked up the lyrics for the song because I wanted to follow along yeah, to make good. sure I wasn't missing words. Uh huh. Good. And there was all kinds of even between the different sites that had the lyrics, they were all a lot of them were different. So it seems like people have been adding on different And I think the last, if I remember, I was reading some stuff about it, but I think there was two full lyrics maybe at the end that have been added on in the last couple hundred years. Yeah, so. Yeah, but, um, I don't know, it just kind of struck me this time, like, how, how beautiful this song is and how beautiful some of the creativity that we have as Christians is. Yeah. yeah I feel like some of our creativity has been suppressed in our current culture. Right. But just the beauty and the creativity over the centuries that that Christianity has inspired, you know, God has inspired. Yeah. And this being, I, I just thought it was <coughs> very beautiful. Yeah. So. Good. What do you think, John? Do you feel like you're inspired when you paint? Very. By God. Oh my God! I had no yeah. question about it. It ain't me doing the painting. <laughs> I'm just showing up with my equipment, but the Holy Spirit's flowing right through me from the environment. I'm a nature guy, and that's where I draw my strength and uh, inspiration is from nature. Yeah, particularly the ocean. For whatever reason, I've always been a beach bum, and the movement of the water uh, always percolates into my brain and senses. Like for the last several hours, from down there until it came here, down there at the water, it was incredible. And that feeling goes into your paintings, uh, which the makes them say right? the heart yes, right. kind of comes you out. Get your, I mean, get your dumb brain out of the way and let the heart take over. Other artists, like artists that you know are not Christian, it seems like there's a like a heavy darkness a lot of times exactly. in the art. The way that they feel inside comes yeah. through the art. They don't huh. even understand it or realize yeah. why. And it's because they don't have the spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit at all. Either academically or spiritually, mm. they don't feel it. And they feel alone right. all the time. Right. Mm. Depressed. Yeah. Angry. And squabbling with their wife and the kids and all that nonsense because they refuse to absorb it. All right, so turn to Isaiah um, chapter 7. Okay, so the last couple weeks, I sort of, I tried to set up a context as to what is going on here, okay? So, you know, we have been doing everything 1 through 6. We saw in 6 the big focus that we had on how Isaiah is 
declaring a first of all this judgment that's coming upon Israel which is you are making idols and you're becoming like your idols which is keep on hearing but do not hear keep on seeing but do not see okay so now if you remember in 7 we now have the actual historical situation in which that in which that judgment of Isaiah 6 is going to now start coming upon the historical situation of Israel which is really Israel and Judah at the time. This is around 735, all right? And so this is the actual historical situation that is coming upon. Now, does anybody remember from the last two weeks? So we have Israel is Northern Kingdom, okay? Judah, Southern Kingdom. Um, and anybody remember what is, as we enter this, so it says in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham. So Ahaz is the king of um, which kingdom? Judah. Judah, southern kingdom. Okay. So Uzziah was originally there. So it says Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. And what we have here is it says that you've got Ahaz, who's in now has become king of Judah. You have Rezin who's a king of Syria, all right, which is just sort of north, basically east, all right, of Judah. And you have Pekah, the son of Remali, which is the king of Israel. So Pekah is the king of Israel, and you have Syria, that is its own king. But listen to what's happening. The situation that gets just thrown right at us is that they are coming to Jerusalem. Which kingdom is Jerusalem in? Judah. Judah, southern kingdom, all right? Who's ruling over that? Ahaz. So we hear that Syria is in an alliance with Israel, the northern kingdom, to wage war against... Judah. <laughs> Judah. Yeah. Okay. This is God's people. This is like our civil war. Okay. Exactly. This is our God's people fighting God's people. All right. I mean, in fact, you have ten of the tribes are in in northern um, Israel. Two of the tribes are Judah. So remember, Judah's weak, weaker than Israel. So here Ahaz is finding out that (laughs) Israel has come in cahoots with Syria. And they're going to take over, want to take over um, Judah. All right. Why does Syria want to have this alliance with Israel and take over uh-huh. Judah? Why? Good question. Strategy. The reason why is because all of a sudden Assyria, Assyria. has got a new king, the Tiglath guy, who is now going to start bringing, start coming from the north around Damascus. He's going to start coming down and take, he wants to take over, he wants to expand his kingdom. Okay, and Assyria is going to come down and just swoop over right through all of Israel and Judah and all that and want to take it all over. Right. So, Israel and is Syria... Is there a historical connection between Syria and Assyria? I mean, were the... Um, Joined no. at one point? Not no, like good, good question. No, okay. no, actually not. It's a great question. No. So no. Assyria is, a, is the 
name of the kingdom that is like you know Alexander the Great okay has this kingdom you had Babylon the Babylonians which were a kingdom this is a kingdom called Assyria which is just this huge place that's empire. been taken over hmm? yeah I mean yeah. going to be empire right big empire okay it's like the Roman Empire the Roman Empire came and started taking over everything the Assyrian Empire is taking over everything alright so Syria and Israel form an alliance. They want to take over Judah because now they can have a bigger chunk yeah. in which to then wage war or fight against Assyria. Resist. Okay. So here's Ahaz. Now Ahaz, remember again, in the southern kingdom, Ahaz is part of the lineage of King David. Okay. So this is like God's people of God's people. This is mm-hmm. God's chosen people and lineage in which to carry on King David's line, okay, which ultimately will, will happen with Jesus. All right. So imagine again, here's Ahaz. <laughs> He's being attacked. What's he going to do? He has no, just to be blunt, he has no chance, really. Okay, because Israel and Syria together have so much more power and force and everything to just come take over Judah. It's it's not that big of a deal. No. All right. Underdogs. Definitely the underdogs. All right. So this is the situation Ahaz faces. Like Elliot taking over Laguna. <laughs> big deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We wouldn't want that. Either. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> right. That's especially right now. They got all this COVID. We want to yeah. don't, don't, don't have all this. Well, at yeah. least you know militarily, there's only two ways in, oh. and if we can guard those ways, like right. the Spartans and three hundred. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about it, that's sort of the situation here. Remember how we showed the map that. Judah has Israel up here. Mm-hmm. They have the Philistines over here. They have the Edomites and the Moabites down here. They have Syria over here. I mean, they're just they're right. surrounded, right? Okay, so that's the situation. It's really important to understand the situation because this is going to play into all the things we just talked about, okay, with Emmanuel. So, in verse 2. It's no wonder Isaiah was having all these nightmare and dreams. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, he knew what was going on. And God's now going to speak to Ahaz through Isaiah to tell him what to do. Yeah. All right. So listen to listen what happens. So verse two, when the house of David was told, which is Judah, the house of David is Judah, was told that Syria is in cahoots in league with Ephraim, Ephraim being Israel, the heart of Ahaz. And the people and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So they're scared. <laughs> okay? They are like freaking out. It's like we don't have a chance. Okay. Right. They, they're, they're just they're yeah. Obviously a people who is going to be taken over. So now in this situation, as Ahaz is sitting there. The Lord says to Isaiah, okay, so now here's Isaiah somewhere in Judah. God says to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz. Go talk to him. You and who? <laughs> you and Sherejavah, your son. 
at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway to Washer's Field. Okay. Now, I don't know if you find it odd, but he's telling Ahaz, he's telling, God's telling Isaiah, take your son with you to go talk to Ahaz. Why? Okay. Well, give us the reason why is because we have something else going on here, as we are going to now find out. So I'm going to give you sort of a little overview. The name of his son is Sher Jahub, all right, which to us means absolutely nothing, all right. But the name of his son is very specifically chosen hmm. because the name of his son means something. Okay? A remnant it, shall return. That's right. It literally means in Hebrew, a remnant shall return. So it's a prophetic name. Exactly. This is not the only one of his child children with prophetic names. That's right. Okay, so what happens here is the child is being given a name which means something. In fact, it has a means... It's, but in a sense, it, this, it means everything for for Ahaz and for Israel. I mean, for Judah to figure out what are we supposed to do. So the, the the this child is given this name. Now, I want you to look and notice that in verse three, it, that name is given. All right, this child share Jahub, your son. All right. Okay, now, just hang, hold there, and I want you to now turn to Isaiah 7, 14. Okay, so this is the son of Isaiah. All right. Now, I want you to just look at 14. So, 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord said, and we'll look at everything in between here in a minute, but you have to understand sort of the layout here because there's an organization to what's happening here. In verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and and shall call his name Emmanuel. Another, Another son who now has a name that means something. It means, we all know, right? It means God with us. Alright? And it's going to actually say that later, that that's what that means. In fact, if in Hebrew, when they would read it, if we were to read it in English, it, we would read, and you shall call his name God with us. Just like with Shir Jahub, you would read, you and a remnant will return your son. Okay? So you have one son. You now have a second child, which is called God with us, Emmanuel. And there's one more. There's another child. Alright? So if you now turn and take a look at 8, chapter 8, verse 3. So 8 verse 3, and I went, so Isaiah goes to the prophetess, prophetess, 
woman. And she conceived and bore a son. Aha. Ring bell, huh? Another son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalahash Whatever. I can't say that. Maher Shalahash Baz. That also has a meaning. That name means speedy to the spoil. Huh. Speedy to the spoil. It can also mean swift to the plunder. Okay, it's, it's got both those meanings. Another son now, another person is being called this. Okay? Okay. So what we have is we have three child children here that form a prophecy. Alright? They form the way in which God is trying to talk to Ahaz. He's speaking to them through, in a sense, you want to, could, could almost call it three children that become like mini parables. They're like mini oracles in which he's going to tell, he's going to prophesy, Isaiah's going to tell Ahaz what's happening. Okay? Now, if you look at 8.18, we hear, at the end now, we hear this actually explicitly said. So in 8.18, Isaiah says, Behold, I, Isaiah, and the children whom the Lord has given, these are the three children we just looked at, has been given as signs. They are given as the Lord has given me as signs and portents in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells in the Mount of Zion. Isaiah is now telling us at the end of this, I, these three kids, these three children, are really ultimately signs as to what God is doing. Follow me? The children are not the signs. <laughs> Types and shadows. So that children have names that represent the circumstances going on. So the first child, Sher Jaush, your son, is talking about that a remnant will still exist. So it's speaking prophetically of. A remnant is going to still exist. All right. Which is good news and not good news. Well, exactly. All right. Yeah. The second, the second son, is not talking about the son. The God, the, the son is God with us. It's the same thing as all the sons. It's talking about the circumstances in which are at play. Oh. So the first son is saying there's going to be a remnant, which we'll talk about. The second son is saying through his name is that God is going to be with us, which we're going to look at. The third son is saying that someone is going to come and take all the spoil of the country. It's going to come and raid the country and take all the goods and everything from it. Okay? Alright, so you guys following me so far? Yeah. So do you think that Emmanuel that Isaiah had a son named Emmanuel? We don't that's a great question. The actual answer is 
We don't know for sure. We do think that, so it's very possible because, but people the debate, because it doesn't actually say. What's important is it doesn't say, probably because that's what's not important here. It's what the sons mean as to a prophecy that, that the Lord is trying to tell through Isaiah to Ahaz. The names of the children, it's not about the children. It's about a name that represents this is what's going to happen. Sometimes it's what's going to happen regardless. Sometimes it's what's going to happen, Ahaz, if you don't follow me. All right. So it's speaking about circumstances. All right, so to your question, no one really knows for sure. However, it is interesting that the first son and the third son, very pop, the first son is definitely Isaiah's. The third son is most likely Isaiah's because prophetess, it's, he's the prophet, his wife. And it says in 8.18 that these are my sons. <laughs> I tend to think that very possibly there's three sons here. All right. It is interesting that it, you know he refers to her in one as a, the prophetess, right? But the other one says, "Behold, the virgin self shall conceive." Yeah, which we're going to get to. Yeah, yeah. As to what does that really mean? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whether or not there's debate about it. Whether what? Whether or not there's debate about about the meaning of virgin. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So, are you guys following me? So this whole situation has to be understood because Isaiah has set this up, God sets it up, to understand that what's really happening here is God is using the names of children to represent what is happening but in why? Israel. Huh? But why is he using the children? Because, because this is the same thing that Jesus does when he tells a parable. Oh. He's trying to use, it's the same... It's the same thing that happens when um, David is caught in sin with Bathsheba by Nathan, and Nathan tells a story about a little little lamb. Right. Okay. This is the way God communicates with people. Why? Well, we know because Isaiah six tells us God is trying to get the people to hear who do not hear, to see who Mm -hmm. do not see. They're so focused on idols, so have turned away from the Lord. Their heart is turned away from God. They don't even hear God anymore. They're deaf, they're blind to the ways of God unless you turn and understand. So does he think they're going to get this parable? That's what we're going to find out. (laughs) Great question. I'm not sure whether they get it or not. but This is a story because does, does he get it? And this then comes even all the way to us today, but through Jesus' time, this is the reason why Jesus told parables. I think you might have even brought that out when we were going through that parable of Matthew 13. Is that Jesus, they say, why are you telling parables? I'm telling parables because, and then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Because the people are, are, do not hear. They're deaf, they're blind to the ways of God. But you know what? They still have a chance. They still can turn. They still can be healed. If they understand the parable. If they understand the parable, and more so if their hearts turn to where their focus is on what God is saying versus what they or the world or idols are saying. 
Yeah. It become you have a better chance of turning your heart on a parable than you do some academic which is instruction. Notice notice that the whole Bible is narrative. The yes. whole Bible is written in a narrative, poetic, para- parable, metaphor way. You can turn to almost any page and you will hear a metaphor. Yes, metaphors okay. and symbols. Because metaphor is the art of relationship. It's the art of how God speaks to us. It's mm-hmm. out of how we relate to each other. I mean, if you, if you ever think about how you talk and listen to how you talk to each other, we talk in, we talk in metaphors all the time. And all a parable is is an extended metaphor. I mean, that's what a parable is designed. What we're really dealing with here is we're dealing with metaphors. And that's how God tries to say, this is what's going on in the heavenly realm. I want you to understand um, from the earthly perspective what's going on in the heavenly, in the heavenly realms. That's why God says in a psalm, you are my, I am your rock and shield. That's a metaphor. That's not a rock. <laughs> but that's sure, you get it, right? Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, okay. So, so, I I, I want yeah. to point out that um, this isn't unique to Isaiah because other oh. prophet God does this with other prophets. Oh, absolutely! Oh, like um, um, he does with Hosea. 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 Oh, Hosea. Yeah. Hosea. The entire Hosea book is a parable. <laughs> but 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 Hosea names all of his kids. Yeah. Like name your kid unfaithful. Yeah. So the kid's name is unfaithful right. because his wife was a prostitute, which represented the nation to God. And so his children had not good names because yeah. that they were uh, like condemning, like prophetic, right. kind of. Which is what we're seeing here. Yeah. The kids yeah. are given a name unfaithful. Unfaithful is not the kid. The kid's not no. unfaithful. Right. It's the nation that's unfaithful. Exactly. The yeah. same thing's happening here. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first key to be recognized is that Emmanuel is just one of three children as part of this whole sequence of a prophecy going on. Okay, so I want you to now listen to what happens, okay, because we learn a lot more <laughs> about even Emmanuel as we go through here. So, where are you this, sorry? Hmm? Where are you at? So I'm now, yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm now in Isaiah 7, uh-huh. verse 3. So you can picture, you know, put yourself in Ahaz's place in Isaiah. Okay, so. The Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, Go to meet Ahaz, you and Sherejahush, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. I mean, you can get out MapQuest, you know, get out Google Maps and probably go by the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, okay, so now listen to what, what God is telling Isaiah to say to Ahaz. Remember, the people are freaking out. Mm-hmm. They're super scared. These people are going to come and take them over, right. kill their children, kill the women, take over the whole country. They're toast, right? What does God say? Tell Ahaz, be careful. Be quiet. Yep. Do not fear. Do not fear. And do not let your hearts be faint. Why? Because these, in time about metaphor, listen to the metaphor. Because these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, <laughs> and who are these smoldering stumps? They are Rezin of Syria, the son of Remelah. Okay, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remelah, because Syria and Ephraim, so in other words, because Syria and northern Israel, 
and the son of Remali has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabel as king in the midst of it. So, God's telling Ahaz, in the midst of everyone shaking in fear, you don't need to worry about no a thing. Worries. No worries. That's good intel. That's good <laughs> intel, right? Very, very good. It's like the spies going. It, it, it is good intel. Okay. In fact, I love that. That's great, Pete. I mean, it, it, that is exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's intel from God. Sure. Okay. Not like remember when they um, when they went and saw the giants, you know, and they don't want to go into um, Israel, right? Because they saw these giants. Right. That's what they saw on the worldly level. And what did God say? Don't worry about it. Go. Same yeah. thing here is that everything's saying these people, this, these two countries have formed this coalition. They're coming after you. Okay? And God says, don't do a thing. You don't need to. Don't do a thing. Right. Okay? It will self-destruct. That's right. Because this is what God says in verse 7. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. What won't come to pass? They will not come against you and destroy you, um, 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 Judah. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, very specific prophecy, within 65 years, Ephraim, which is northern Israel, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remelah. So what he's saying is within 65 years, first of all, he's saying you don't have to do a thing, even right now, you don't have to do a thing. And guess what? In 65 years, Israel, northern Israel, will be toast. Gone. Okay. So don't even worry about it. God's got it all planned. And that's exactly what happened, is Israel and Syria and Damascus were all sweeped up by Assyria, okay, and taken into exile. Basically, no longer, all right? So he's given specific time. He's telling them what to do right now. This will not happen, the siege against you. God has told him, and then he says, ends it, with, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. First not. Okay? But you can imagine, just think of your Ahaz. <laughs> and you're being told this by a prophet. What are you going to do? We would like to all think. <laughs> I follow God. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? But you think but, Ahaz but. is a king, you've got all these forces going to come down and everything saying it's going to take over and you're like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So, what does Ahaz do? Alright, well, this is what Ahaz does. Again, in verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. 
This is monumental, you guys. Literally, this doesn't happen very hardly anywhere in the Bible. God is telling Ahaz, I want you so much to believe in me and put your faith in me that you can ask anything and I will do it for you. Anything. Literally, Ahaz has a blanket ask. Okay? Ahaz, Isaiah says, you can ask the Lord anything and God will give you that answer. Okay? I believe. That's right. This does not happen. I don't even know really anywhere else in Scripture where this happens. This is one that, if not, if nothing else, is one of the few times that literally there's this blanket statement: "Ask anything, and God will tell you." Okay. What does Ahaz do? Given this complete blanket invitation from God, he rejects it. He says instead, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to a test. I wouldn't either. But you just, God just said, ask anything. Because, well, Ahaz's response basically says, I am more, put more faith in my own wisdom. I put my own faith in my own trust myself. I put my own faith in my own idols. I put my own faith in anything but God. Well, that's different. Because God is asking, yeah, I know. And so to understand here, God literally is saying, you're in this situation, John. It's completely, in, there's no way you can get out of this. Okay? But I'm telling you, have faith in me. All right? Yes. And I'm saying, to really get, make sure you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that I am your God. Ask me anything. Ask for any sign. And I will show you myself. Okay. I will show you whatever you want to know. And Ahaz here literally rejects the Lord's offer and says, in essence, what he's saying here is, I'm too good for that. I don't need to. I don't need God. that. So it's not like Jesus' response to the second temptation where he says, Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. It's right. not like that. It's, it's not like that. It's, we yeah. think well, that was sort of negative like a test. It's not yeah. from God. No, and it sounds like that, right. But yeah. in this situation, that's I mean, not what it is. It might be quoting the same verse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in this situation, that is not what's happening. How could he be that stupid? He's supposed to be a smart guy. See, in Jesus' situation... It was Satan that was right. telling him. Put God to a test. No. In yeah. this situation, God is saying. saying... God's commanding Ahaz. What do you want? And Ahaz is rejecting God's literal... I mean, he's basically saying, I don't have faith in you. That's how far Ahaz now... We see Ahaz's relationship with God. It's a name only. So so right now, just going through this, I'm thinking of Hezekiah, which is later on, later on Isaiah, and contrasting their two responses. Because with Hezekiah... Hezekiah either asks God for a sign, like what sign will God give me? Because I think Isaiah came and said, you're going to die. Like Hezekiah was going to die. Yeah. And Hezekiah crying and begging, no, I don't want to die. And then, you know, prayed, Lord, haven't I been faithful to you? And then, um, so then God says, fine, you can live 15 more years. (laughs) 
And then he goes, well, what sign are you going to give me so that I know that, you know. And he goes, well, do you want the, do you want the, the sundial to go backwards 10 <laughs> steps or oh, forwards uh-huh, 10 uh-huh. steps? Right. And he goes, well, it'd be easy for it to go forward, so make it go make backwards. It backwards. Which yeah. is and pretty Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did it, yeah. but just kind of contrasting that. Yeah, I guess, and hit, uh, Hezekiah's response because Hezekiah. I mean, we'll get there. Yeah. we'll get there. But the Assyrian army was there. Yes, they were uh, besieging the city that mm-hmm. he was in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his response was to cry out to, to the Lord, and then the angel of the Lord wiped out 150 thousand of them overnight. 150 thousand of the Assyrians overnight. Right. So that was Hezekiah's response. Yeah. Ahaz. And, hey, and Ahaz. A, Ahaz is given the. Hey, he's actually you're, you're been. He's actually been commanded. Ask a sign of the Lord. God says, "I'm asking for a sign," knowing full well that he can ask anything. And here you see Isaiah six nine through ten in action. Isaiah's heart has become so. Ahaz's heart has become so hardened to God that he no longer even wants to hear. From him, was he feigning piety then? Yes, he was. He was feigning. That's exactly. That's 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 exactly. In fact, what you just said is exactly. He's putting on airs as though he's humble, but he's not. Ah, that's right. I'm basically saying, you know what? Because my question was, I'm so holy, I don't need to. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when Moses is at the burning bush, interacting, and God is saying, "Do this." And he's kind of fumbling over himself. We we know ultimately Moses had a good intention. He, right. And he's humble. He, yeah. he had a humble heart. He's right. Just kind of fumbled. You know, whatever. Yeah. It just took him some time. But so what you're saying here is that this is not humility. No, it's, it's the opposite of humility. Yeah. It's exactly what Pete just said. Arrogance. Okay. It's, it's arrogance. Clearly arrogance. Okay. It's, I mean, it's kind of interesting that the position that, that Isaiah comes to Ahaz with. He comes in with like pretty good news and like a really good offer. From really God good news, and um, but it doesn't say anything about Ahaz's character, right? It doesn't say it. It only allows you to see his actions, which is usually what you see in the Bible. Very rarely do you hear the character spoken of directly. It it's happens through story. Okay. Happens through narrative. I don't know why you we feel like it, there's there's like judgment. There's like explicitly stuff said about the character. When they're going to them, or um, but you, you know. rarely see that, or it will come out through a parable like the kids here. <laughs> yeah, you don't see the Bible. The Bible wants you to see it's real life. I mean, this is real. This really happened, uh-huh. and and so it's letting you let let you see how this is all played out in historically. I mean, this is what's happened. Okay. Where's this and desperation? The and this people. shows characters are going back to you. You know, it's like we want to judge and look at a person's character in their heart. Yeah. Guess what? Ahaz is just blatantly, expl- you know, showing it by the very refusal to trust God. He's a loser too because he's going to lose. <laughs> well, that's right. But he, I mean, what, he, what's your option, Ahaz? <laughs> yeah. He Ahaz has an option. Listen, let's watch. Okay. This is what I. This is Ahaz already knows what he wants to do. In fact, why is Ahaz so arrogant? Because Ahaz has already decided what he's going to do. He knows, he knows how to make sure that these two, Syria and Israel, do not come against him. Listen, 
Okay? He already knows. Yeah, I think he knows. Yeah. So look at verse 13. And Isaiah says, based on the fact that Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to a test. Like, oh, I don't need to do that. You know, I'm too good for that. All right? And Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David. In other words, hear, Ahaz. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, okay, here we go. Now, therefore, so this is now a result of the fact that Ahaz is refusing to listen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice that God, okay, so, so get the context. God said to Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask you for a sign. Basically, completely disobeying God. And so what's God going to do? God's going to give him a sign. Right. <laughs> or not. You better go back and rethink of that, Ahaz, because now you could have asked for whatever sign you want, but now God's going to give you a sign. What is that sign? Behold, and this is now the context of Emmanuel. This is very key to understanding what Emmanuel means. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose good. For before the boy, again, this is sort of like, like a parable, before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, so he's giving a time span, okay? He's talking about a kid, it's just like a metaphor, he's talking about a kid and saying, before this kid even knows and grows up to the point of knowing how to choose between good and evil, something's going to happen. How long does it take for a kid to choose between good and evil and know the good, how to choose that? Well, not very long, per se. This entire situation we're reading right now takes place within three years. Okay? Everything we're going to read takes place within a span of about three years. So, what we're hearing here is that this son called God with us, and now it's explaining it, that before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, something's going to happen. So whatever that time span is, let's say it's a year, let's say it's two years. I, I'm, I don't know exactly right. He's saying however long it takes for a kid to know how to choose between good and evil, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Once again, God's saying, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to destroy. I'm, I'm going to stop Israel and um, Syria from coming against you. And he says in verse 7, The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now, why don't you just listen? So this is the result of the kid being named Emmanuel. This is the result of God being now, as we say, with us. The result is a judgment. And here's the judgment. The Lord will bring upon you, that's Ahaz and Judah, and upon your people, and upon your father's house, such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What we're going to read starting there and the rest of it is what is being told here is that 
because Ahaz is not listening to God, a judgment is going to come upon Judah and Ahaz. That judgment is going to be in the form of what? Assyria. Okay. So what ends up happening, I'll just read the rest for it. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams. Again, listen to the metaphor here. And the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rock and in all the thorn bushes and in all the pastures. In that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river, the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep and because of the abundance of milk they will give he will eat curds for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey in that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines with a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns with bows and arrows a man will come there for all the land will be briars and thorns and as for the hills that used to be hoed with a hoed you would not come there for fear of briars and thorns but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Hmm. What is going to happen? Assyria is going to become the judgment of Ahaz and it's going to wipe out Judah. So, what does God with us mean in this situation? Hmm. So here the child is called God with us. That God with us for Judah and Ahaz is one of what? Not of joy, but of judgment. So God will come but he is going to come bringing judgment. Mm -hmm. And he is going to wipe out and basically... So this is what was happening. Ahaz, his plan was not to listen to God. Ahaz instead went to Assyria, the king of Assyria, bowed before him, paid him money, actually put an idol within the temple, the sanctuary in Assyria, and worshipped that. Ahaz completely sold himself out to Assyria, thinking that Assyria was going to protect him against Israel and Syria. Yeah. Um, what happens when you pay off the devil? Oh, yeah. Does the devil let you be paid off? No, the devil comes and you sell your soul. Wow. And that's exactly what happens here. Is that Assyria is going to come in and just take over not only were Assyria, Assyria is going to take over Israel and Syria, but also Judah. Where if Ahaz has listened to God and done nothing and trusted God, Judah would have remained strong. Israel and Syria would have already been prophet. They were they were going to be taken by Assyria, and God would have stopped Assyria from taking over Judah. All because Ahaz did not stand firm in faith, did not ask the Lord for a sign, did not trust God. He wasn't desperate enough. 
Yeah. I mean, he wasn't faithful to the Lord, but he thought he had options. Yeah. Right. His his heart is not soft. It's not malleable. It's he, it's a hardened he, heart. He thinks he knows. He literally he's into himself. He all thinks he knows better he than a God. Strategy. Yeah. 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 Like he said, he he knows better than God. He's worship already been probably worshiping idols. He already has become deaf and blind to the ways of God, like Isaiah says. And you're seeing the prophecy of Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 being played out here. But it's being played out as a judgment given the name and described as a man you will. God with us. So, you know, in our beckoning, come, O come, Emmanuel. Yeah, but uh, what are we what are we saying? So well, listen to we're that. We're calling song. down the power of God. We're calling <laughs> Majesty. It's not just a baby in a nativity. It's we're, we're actually contextually calling on something that is so powerful we don't even. Consider. Well, and yeah, and we and the song. Hold off the song for a second because that song is almost calling for something that now that we see the context. The context of God with us, very surprisingly, does not mean yay. Yeah. It means judgment. It means where there is unbelief, God brings judgment. That's in essence what Emmanuel means. Where there is unbelief, when God shows up, one of two things will happen. There will be belief and people will turn to God. Or there will be unbelief and God's presence will be judgment for them. Turn back to Matthew. Okay? Because now that you hear that, it puts Matthew in a little bit different light. Because listen to what now is really Matthew telling us about why he quotes Isaiah. Because when Jesus is born, we know he's the Messiah. Now one thing to note, while well, I'm thinking about Pete, and you have said this, nowhere, when we get to chapter 9, you will see that we're, we hear about the anointed and Messiah in some of the names prophesied in Jesus. In this one with Emmanuel, there's no mention of Messiah or anointing. Okay? Here, Emmanuel means judgment. Okay? It means God with us, but it means God with us that when there's unbelief, it brings judgment. Okay? It is not anything, should I say, there's not anything positive about Emmanuel from that perspective. Alright? So, when we go now back to Matthew, and we look at what Jesus is called, listen to what Jesus is called. So it says in verse, what, 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear and take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and his name will be called Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Jehovah Shua. What does it mean? Yahshua. Jehovah Joshua. God is salvation. Very good. Did you hear that? Say it again. Jehovah is salvation. Yes. That's right. 
Yahweh yeah, is Yahweh. salvation. God is salvation. God is Yeshua salvation. Yeshua is salvation. Jesus' name huh. actually means God saves. Oh. All right? Did not know that. Yeah, which is, you see it here. I mean, that's the actual meaning of Yeshua, all right, is God saves. The so J, the, the J-E yeah. is, um, is, is short for Jehovah or Yahweh. Yeah. The, that's what the J-E is. And the, and the is. Shua is the salvation, the word for salvation. In fact, um, the name, the Greek name for Jesus is the same name as Joseph? Not Joseph. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, jo- Joshua? Yeah, by my Joshua. Thank oh, okay. you, Joshua. <laughs> the name Jesus is the same right. name as Joshua. All right. Jesus is the Greek of Joshua. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, in 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 here, just like we hear that Emmanuel mm-hmm. means God with us, listen to what it says. It says it right here. Okay. So she will bear a son, and his name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Who is Jesus? The first thing Jesus says is he is come to save us from our sins. He has come to bring God's salvation. He has come for all those who believe to be saved, right? That's what Jesus has come for. But Matthew reveals something else. That when God comes (laughs) to save, he comes to save those who believe. But what does God do to those who don't believe? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us who brings judgment. And so here Jesus is showing that what's happening is in Jesus, you have now what has been happening in Isaiah and all throughout Scripture is that this God, our God, has come to save us when we believe. But when we don't believe and there's unbelief, there is a result of that, and that result is judgment. And that's what that's what why Matthew actually says, <laughs> and his name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Because notice if you read the whole if you read the life of Jesus, what ends up happening? He doesn't just bring salvation, which he does to those who believe, but he also brings what? <laughs> The piety, the um, what do you call it, the um, feigned feigned piety. piety of who? The Pharisees, yeah. okay, and the religious leaders, yeah, and all those who turned away from Jesus and did not believe. And if you remember a few weeks ago when I took you through this, and I'll just read this as sort of our close, is in Matthew twenty-four that we read. Um, Would you say the, the definition of Jesus, Yahweh, what? Jesus, um, Jesus means Yahweh says. Yeah, Yahweh Yeshua. Yeah, okay. Which is it's, it? It kind of uh, short, shortens it, shortens the words and combines them together. Which is Joshua, right? right. In Hebrew, Jehovah Shua. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you'll, you'll see. I mean, in a lot of the words, like Emmanuel, L is God, and right. oh, very that word. Yeah, but J whatever. A lot of people's names are J something, 
and then those names typically have meanings. Like some of the meanings are spelled out, some of them aren't. Yeah, excellent. But usually, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we now have so now we have Jesus, who's come now to bring salvation to all people, not just the Jews, to those who believe. But there is those who, in unbelief, reject God. And if you remember when I read Matthew 23 a couple weeks ago, this is the end of Matthew. So Matthew starts with, oh, here's Jesus bringing salvation. Okay. As we start going through Matthew, we have Matthew actually declaring in Matthew 13 that I did a couple weeks ago, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, saying, I'm speaking in parables because I'm trying to bring people from I'm trying to do a couple of things. I'm trying to be, bring people from unbelief to belief. And for those who do not believe and refuse, I'm trying to make that, I'm trying to, in essence, have them exposed <laughs> that they don't believe. All right? That the very telling of the parable divides. Okay? It divides those who believe from those who don't. Those who hear from those who don't. And so at the very end of Matthew, you end up having the same type. Emmanuel comes. <laughs> At the end of Matthew, Emmanuel comes. The judgment of God with us. And what it says, and I'll just read it here. This is Je- this is Jesus' final like prophecy to the Pharisees and for all those who didn't believe. What's the and to the nation of Israel. This is 23. Okay. I'll just read 37 to 38. Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Just like yes. See, your house is left to you desolate. A quote from Isaiah. For I tell you, you would not see me again until I say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, your house is not desolate. Because of the judgment brought on on Israel, because of their unbelief, 70 AD, the Romans were allowed to come in and wipe out the very temple of God. Basically taking the Jews who were in unbelief and were not following Jesus, leaving them no access to God and bring as a judgment against the unbelief of Israel. And Jesus then says, I am now the Israel. I am the God who brings salvation. I am the one for the whole world, not just the nation of Israel anymore. So when we look, go back and we now see in Matthew, people read Emmanuel and they write a song. I hate to reverse your Bible but oh come oh come Emmanuel what they're really asking for is what they don't realize is Emmanuel is the judgment of God for those who don't believe (laughs) we don't even have to ask for that we need to just ask for that salvation God will bring his judgment on those who don't believe yeah it's very obvious and we trust in that you know that's part of our trust there's two sides to the coin yes Jesus saves but Jesus also brings the final judgment. Yeah. So. And people are responsible. Yeah. It seems like in our culture, people want to avoid responsibility. <laughs> seems like uh, they want to shirk it. Pretty pathetic. You know, they they it's oh we don't really have free will or whatever, but 
then they're using their free will for their own intents and purposes, but don't want to be responsible. And don't want to claim Jesus as Lord. No. They want to say, I'm spiritual. Yep. He made me the way that I am, and, you know... (laughs) And he should have just made me a robot. Yeah. Right? And I and I'm you know and I'm, I'm spiritual and I pray to this God and that God and everything should be fine and you know I do this and I do that and I maybe have a little bit of Jesus and I have a little bit of this and that's exactly what a that is Ahaz. Yeah. That's the judgment yeah. that was brought unto Ahaz. Uh-huh. That's the judgment of Isaiah. Is yeah. when you try to have both, you will have none. Because Yahweh was just another God to him. Yep. Yeah. Which, who is he to us today? To so many people. Yeah. Oh, he's just a good teacher. He's just... Yeah. Yeah. He's not the only way. How can that be? <laughs> yeah, we have 50,000 types of Oreos in the grocery store. I mean, we, our <laughs> salvation should be multiple Oreos. You know, a human being... Uh, it has this layers of uh, you know whatever denial whatever but th- there's the place of truth that goes to their heart they do know and uh, but they cover it with it's covered with carnality and sin and this gray is there because it's all you know every April fifteenth everybody knows you're gonna have to pay your taxes that you know whatever day it is it's it's coming uh, or if you have a, a loved one that's dying and you know eventually you know that day comes you they are deceased both those Items seem like when you oh sorry tax bill it's like you still kind of get a ding you know you even plan ahead you still kind of get a ding you know the day's coming and then especially when you have to write a check grandpa <laughs> whatever yeah exactly right. there's this commitment and so uh, of responsibility and truth but also the the family member that passes or whatever you hear the friend that, that died it's like ugh. it's like there's that truth Fine. it's it Fine. just it fills itself out. Truth is just yeah. truth, and um, so we glaze ourselves over. And uh, yeah, I have yeah. And I think that you know, what, to us, and I mean, this is why Isaiah keeps convicting me. Isaiah, Matthew, that I just read. This is God's word to God's people. He's not talking about. Um, he's not talking about the Gentiles in any of this. He's not talking about those who don't believe in God. That that comes, okay? But he's speaking like the to the people who are supposed to be Jews following are. God. Yeah. He's speaking to Christians. His chosen people. He's speaking to people who made think that they are ones who are following God. However you try to explain that or not. He's speaking to us and saying, be careful. Because you... I mean, here's Ahaz in the lineage of David. Okay? Of all who would know, Right? The same with David, right? Look what happened to David. Man after God's own heart. It calls us to account like every day we've got to be like watching and looking at ourselves and saying, when God asks me, do you trust me? We say yes. Oh, yeah. And we show that. <laughs> Eternal vigilance. Yeah. And now you know what happens when you don't say that in your unbelief. <laughs> Emmanuel. <laughs> he wants us to pursue him, doesn't he? He wants to know yeah. that we are yeah. pushing to know him. Yeah. 
anyway, any questions, you guys? I mean, I just hope that that help see that differently. Do you see um, what's going on there in Isaiah? Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. The context. That was good. That's wonderful. So, you know, uh, God with us is not really speaking of Jesus, but it's like God, Yahweh, with us. It's, he's not, isn't he, you know, the brightness of a consuming fire as well as all, you know, everything. So consuming, you know, what's not part of him yeah. is what he does naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there the ultimate yeah. legal fire is going to happen, but you know, just get the dross out, just just burn it up. So if I'm an unbeliever, yeah, it's going to be quick, folks. Yeah, well, and that's I guess you know, so to just even like the peak, you know, in a set in the real sense here, I would I would say, and again, this is you know, when you're looking at here, it's not really. When Jesus is given the name Emmanuel, it's not really for the sake of saying Jesus is God per se. It's saying that in Jesus, God is bringing salvation and, for those who believe, mm. and bringing judgment. The Jews did not read Isaiah, I mean Matthew 1, and go, Jesus is God. <laughs> no. I mean, that was always a struggle. We read that and, yeah, we sort of can put and say, God with us. Oh, that means Jesus is God. That's actually not what made Matthew saying right there. He's declaring that Jesus has been born, the Christ, the Messiah. We obviously see that being played out. With, is there a shadow of that? Absolutely. Is there like, oh my gosh, he is God because he is the one bringing this. So definitely you see that, but the Jews would not have read that in the sense of, oh, that means Jesus is God. They didn't really, they were just trying to figure that out. I don't, <laughs> as you see all the way through the Gospels. They're trying to figure out who is Jesus, <laughs> you know. Um, but Matthew is writing this after Jesus is risen from the dead, after yeah. Jesus shows that he's the Son of God. <laughs> so in that sense, then Pete is right. So you really do see that, yeah, Jesus is God who is bringing that salvation like he did in Isaiah, and he's bringing that judgment like he did in Isaiah. You know, he is God. So you're, you know, it's both. <laughs> sort of both and. Baptism by water and fire. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> good, good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you guys can go do a sermon that Christmas yeah. or tell your family at Christmas, yeah. you know. I think I'll listen to this tape a couple more times. <laughs> God with us and you're like, I know. <laughs> we went to salvation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For the Jews, so it changes the Christmas story a little bit. <laughs> Makes it what it really is. Yes, it is the presence of God. Of course. And for those who believe, hope, salvation, eternal life. But for those who don't, yeah. it's not Santa Claus. Not Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a uh, faith-filled, you know, in quotes, everything's in quotes. Jewish person now, not the Hasidics, but the. A person who's a conservative practicing Jew now, uh, is there no dialogue about what we were just reading? I mean, the, are they waiting for the Messiah? Well, and so here's an example. Let's just take, before we get to nine, where yeah. you're going to see a little bit more explicit stuff right. to the Messiah. A Jew who is not a believer in Jesus, 
would totally read Isaiah and believe, yeah, Emmanuel means this judgment that God's going to bring upon Judah and upon Israel. They know that. They see that. Their people have experienced it. But that would not, they would not connect that to Jesus unless you get them to read Matthew. <laughs> and that's why Jews do not want to read the New Testament. Right. Yeah, Jews, I mean, the Jews will not, and they that's, would not that's how Jews come to faith. They would not is, connect Isaiah with Jesus because because they won't read, well, in a simple way. Well, well without even reading the New Testament, but when it's talking about uh, becoming birth yes. by a virgin, why would they connect that? Or with like Jesus? Isaiah 53. Yeah, so they still, I mean, the simple way, this sounds almost simplistic, this household actually, from what I understand, too, I actually hung out with a bunch of Jews up in the Bay Area. You they did? have a whole huge Jewish city. I went to their actual, yeah. um, they have a whole like little city in Palo Alto. Yes, they do. And it's amazing that they do, they are talking about studying scripture. Believing I Jews. mean, they are there, yes. They are there studying scripture and I went to a lot of their Bible Sorry, studies messianic? and stuff like that. No, not oh. messianic. Oh. Jews. All right. Okay. Who would not believe Jesus is okay. the Messiah. The summary is really a Jew today who does not believe Jesus is the Messiah is a Jew who believes in Yahweh, believes in the same God that we believe in, the God of the Bible, but they are still expecting the first coming Right. Well, we are expecting the so second. what? Right. But I mean, when you read Isaiah, they they act they don't. So we're going to get to Isaiah nine, where you see a little bit more, and Isaiah forty and fifty three. I mean, so you're, you're going to see all these things. What you're They're saying going to say, is that they don't think Jesus was born of a virgin. No, and they don't say that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Of course not. I understand that. And they don't believe but that Jesus, that the Messiah, is necessarily going to be God. That's what's radical about Jesus, uh, is that yeah, here's yeah. this Jew who is God. They, their belief has always been the Messiah is going to come like an army, you know, he's going to come uh-huh, and he's going to, uh-huh. you know, in their make, dreams, but he's going to bring the nation of Israel back to its super prime hey, day, yeah, and many of them will believe that God well, will judge the rest heaven. of the nation. That's their version of heaven. Yeah. The Jerusalem. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Their view of so afterlife. What they're is hoping to happen here is really in another dimension, yeah. and it may or may not be there. I have no idea. But nevertheless, it's not going to happen here. Yeah. I don't think. I'm not. A, <laughs> I don't think what they're dreaming for is going to happen. I mean, I don't either. In, I mean, in the physical can, world, and that's what they're doing. Is they're trying to actually make that happen right now. They're trying to. That's why oh, they course. have in Israel. That's why they are yeah. redoing the temple. You know, getting all the things ready. Right. For this to happen, right. and yet Jesus, how many thousands of times has that city been wiped out, rebuilt, right. building layers, all right. these millenniums? Right. It's such a waste of time see, and effort. I don't see how the Jews currently can explain no sacrifices. Right. They have a really hard time. <laughs> with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> what that what I just read about the destruction of the temple. Yeah. You, That's I mean that that rock. I at, about no, you're so right. That rock yeah. at the core, yeah, Judaism, and it just it so just coincidentally lined up with Jesus and his prophecy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now there is no, you know, and then 
are they keeping the records? Are they keeping the genealogy records for no. the past two thousand years to know no. who who's in the line of David? How do you know? I, well, how could they say somebody is qualified as the Messiah even now? Exactly. Like, they gotta almost give up on it. Yeah. Like and I do think that's why you don't. No, I'm not making fun of the Jewish faith. Right. I think and they're I wonderful people. The whole thing. They are. I mean, we're uh, but we're connected. I'm just yeah. puzzled at their rationale. That's all. But well, Qumran is doing some pretty high tech stuff going point. back. Yeah, to, yeah. So they're just like you know watching archaeologically. Right. But the big picture is just kind of kept out of it. You know, like a modern a modern example would be someone who is really smart, really educated, very youthful who's, you know, I kind of like him, is Ben Shapiro. Mm -hmm. So Ben Shapiro is really connected to dialoguing and a a lot of stuff. And I've seen him dialogue with John MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible Mm -hmm. person to dialogue with. And the gospel was presented at the end of their two-hour conversation. And here's someone, like you're saying, who is just so devoted to doing the Old Testament and, and following all their Jewish holidays. But there's no sacrifices. There's, yeah. I mean, how do you get eternal life if you're not doing everything Jehovah's asking you to do? Well, and, and that's why the Judaism, of, I mean, it, it's still, it's a works, it's works in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, it's trying to works. do well, it's trying to do good. Um, and I saw the gospel, I've listened to that like three times. That but they time. are, I mean, but they love Yahweh. I mean, they yeah. love the word. I mean, yeah, they yeah. study the word of God like we should. I, mean, I was very convinced. They're our brothers. We're, it's sort of embarrassing that yeah, us they as know Christians <laughs> who have this are like, I mean, they're there every, like every night. And these guys, man, talking about dialogue, it's awesome to watch them just, it's like going back in the day of Jesus. They just wrestle with the word and they wrestle yeah. and they argue and they. It's, it's it's like, golly, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. But it's doing. like me talking to my wife, and then I don't get it. <laughs> it's like, I'm not getting it. Which is why, what you were finding out with, the, I mean, read Romans 8 through 10. I mean, Paul gives the answer. I mean, there's a time period right now that they're basically under Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. They just don't see. And during that time, though, we're still to be proclaiming. They don't see so much that, that it's, it's supposedly like against the line. You're not supposed to be sharing. It's, it's always a taboo to be sharing the gospel with the Jew. It's taboo it's, to, them. It's to them. In the United States? It, well, any, yes. It's, it's even in the United States. Yeah. You will hear the Jews do not want you to share the gospel with them. Uh-huh. They're actually the ones who least want. Yeah. It's like there's almost like a taboo. There's like a taboo. You don't do that. And yet, the ones who do become the Messianic Jews, right. who are Jews, who have placed their faith in Christ. There's Jewish believers all over all Jerusalem. And, that, oh, there is. Right out in the streets. Palestinian Jews. Yeah. There's all over the place. Christians, so, I yeah. should say. Anyway. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, but yeah, thank you guys. It was good, good discussion. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad three of you showed up. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, Father, we just thank you for this evening. I do pray for all those who are not here. Lord, just watch over them. And I pray right now, specifically for Chad, who got COVID. It mm. sounds like it hit him pretty hard. Mm. Oh, so um, and then just talking to him and stuff, Lord, I, oh. I know he's still recovering. So we just pray for his full recovery. We yes. pray for the many in our church who got COVID. Um, I think yes. Bob and Sheila, um, who are still also still struggling with it, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just just heal them, Lord. And I just pray for protection over our families, protection over this church. Um, and Lord, we just thank you, thank you, 
thank you, praise you, Lord. Yes. Um, it is not because of us. We are just like anyone else, Lord. And we thank you, though, that you are the one who opens our eyes, who give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. May we never turn away from you in unbelief. May we stand firm in our faith. May we be like Paul who runs that race to the end, Lord. So looking forward to the day where we meet you, Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth, where God does actually come and dwell among us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm on this, guys. I still like that song. <laughs> <laughs>